of Exodus, chapter 17. morning. I feel like I'm with the Israelites walking through the wilderness so far this morning. So this, uh, this message is definitely timely for myself as well. Um, Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. Let's uh, start by reading uh, God's word. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff with which you struck uh, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we uh, come to you again as we uh, begin the proclamation of your word. And we ask that you have your way with us today, that you be glorified and um, that you honor this time with uh, blessing your people, with conviction, with exhortation, with the strength uh, to do what you have called them to do. Lord, may I not uh, get in the way of what you have for your people, um, but may you do what you seek to do in this time. This is our prayer, and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we just read through this passage, uh, there's a couple of things that kind of stand out, right, that talks about testing and quarreling. We see strife and anger and frustration and threats to Moses' life. There's a lot going on in just these couple of verses, and even if we backtrack to chapter 16. Uh, as I started my study on this passage, though, I was trying to find reference verses that spoke to this specific time and pretty much lost count after 16. There's, there's a lot of references in the scriptures that refer to this time uh, as, as, as these people tested God and quarreled with Moses and I wanted to read just a couple of them to kind of give you an idea of, of some of the verses and the way it's spoken of. So Deuteronomy 6.16 says, Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massah. Psalm 95.8 says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah as on that day at Massah in the, in the wilderness. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1-7 through 7 kind of brings this to light of what was going on in this situation by saying, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. 
Now you may ask yourself, why do I bring up these verses? Well, first off, when Scripture speaks, we are to listen. And when it speaks multiple times on a specific passage, there, there's, some, there's, there's something for us to see there. So we see multiple times in multiple books, uh, we see a description of this situation here with the Israelites and their traveling through the wilderness. So as we come to this place in the passage where they're at Massah and Meribah, we see quarreling with Moses and we see the testing of God by the Israelites. And if 1 Corinthians 10, the last one we read, uh, says that they serve as an example to us, what is the example that they serve to us as? And it's, it's an example to not desire evil as, as they did. So that brings to mind a couple of questions, and this is going to be kind of like our, um, what we're going to look at as we talk about this passage today is uh, these questions here. The first one is, what is our response to adversity when trials and pain and, and whatever difficulties arise, what is our response to those things? Secondly, why does God test us uh, and why is it not okay for us to test him? This is kind of a, where my mind went as I was reading this passage. And then the third question that we were to ask is, what is God's response to us trying to test him or us being disobedient to him? So our sermon summary for today, as we kind of ask those questions, we read some of these passages, we read our passage of topic today, our sermon summary is this, if we are to walk by faith and not by sight, we are to look to God for all things, right? If we are to walk by faith, if we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, we are to look to God for all things. That means everything, right? Anything that we need in this life, we are to look to him. So let's start off by asking our first question as we start walking through our passage. What is our response to adversity? And we'll kind of see this uh, question answered in verse one. So let me reread that for us. Uh, It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So Pastor and I kind of talked about this last week when I first before I started studying through this passage, I saw wilderness of sin. And it kind of made me think that uh, think of the way we think of sin, like transgressions and evil and things like that. But this word sin is actually just a, a transliteration of a Hebrew word that that sounds like seen. Uh, so and what that word means is thorn or clay. So it's kind of like this wilderness of thorn bushes and uh, an arid type of desert is kind of what this is referring to. It's not so much talking about the, the wickedness of the heart, which we're going to see that here, uh, but, this, but what this word actually means is, is that. So just as a little side note, if, if you are kind of weird like me and you like little uh, bits of trivia. But what we see here is everyone is packing up and moving, and they're, they're traveling, right? They're, they have gone from the wilderness of sin to Rephidim, and uh, these are Israelites who all they've known is Egypt, right? They've lived there these last 400 years. These are people that didn't have GPS, right? They didn't have MapQuest, and uh, they didn't have maps kind of showing what's around them. So they're just following this 80-year-old man who came, who had been gone for 40 years, comes back, and he leads them out of Egypt. Uh, but when they set up camp, the problem they run across is there's no water anywhere. There's no rivers. There's no ponds or lakes, no rainfall. There's nothing that, that can quench the thirst. And in South Texas, we know what heat's like, right? If you're cutting grass, if you're, when we were, when you were doing, passing out the invitations yesterday, right? The last thing you want to hear is, hey, we ain't got any water. There's like no water, right? It's 95 degrees, 100% humidity, feels like 110. Last thing you want to hear is there's nothing to drink, right? So 
the people here, right, they're, they're, they're thirsty, right? They, they want something to drink. And, and uh, so it's like, okay, if, if I was there, right, the, our mindset is like, okay, you've taken us out of Egypt. We've traveled all this time. We've seen these great things, but I'm, I'm thirsty right now. Like right now I'm thirsty. I understand we've seen all this, but I'm like, I'm thirsty, and there's no water in sight. All I see is mountains and thorn bushes and dirt and, and no rivers, no lakes, no nothing, what are you going to do about this, right? This is what uh, the people are asking Moses. And, uh, you know, this could possibly lead to some issues. So I ask you, right, as, as we see for the Israelites, what would be your response to, to this type of adversity? If you're helping somebody out, moving, or, you know, you're, you're doing some strenuous labor or whatever, and, and all of a sudden when you go to get something to drink, there's, there's no water, uh, the question I'm asking is, is it, uh, excuse me, is, is what's your response to this adversity? Would it be a loving response like, oh, it's okay, brother. I, when I get home, you know, I'll just get some water there. It's, it's okay. I know I'm 30 miles away, right? I traveled all this time to help you out, and I'm thirsty, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay, brother. It's okay. I'm okay. Or is it peace, right? Uh, when, when you turn the faucet and nothing comes out or just dirty water comes out, is, is, are you peaceful? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are, are, you, are you seeking the good of, of those who have led you to this point? Are, are you being faithful to, to God? Are you gentle? Are you being self-controlled in this time? Right? When thirst is, is, is at the forefront of your mind, when hunger, when, when adversity, when trials and pain, when these things are, are at the forefront of your mind, is, is that where your mind goes? Is it to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? Or is it more like the Israelites, anger, frustration, bitterness, despair, hopelessness, right? It, it, where, where does your mind go? I think when we respond in these loving, joy, joyful, peaceful, patient ways, what we're actually doing, we're responding in faith to God, right? We trust him. Like, hey, this situation looks grim, but I trust you. I, I know you are going to provide for me. That's that's that response, but this other response, right, this frustration, despair, the quarreling that this passage speaks of, this is actually us testing God, right? This, this, this anger that we show, this frustration, this um, I deserve better type of thing, this is a, a testing of God. Now, you may ask yourself, I'm not testing God, I'm just frustrated with this current situation, right? All all I want is some water. That's all I'm asking for. That's it, right? I mean, I've traveled. I've listened to this guy, right? And, and we, we crossed the Red Sea. We did all this stuff like he asked us to, and I just want some water. Is water too much? I'm not asking for a bed or anything. I just want some water. I'm thirsty, and I want some water. Why I say this is testing, what do I mean by that is in our anger or our frustration, our despair, what we are actually doing is we're examining or testing our, our, our situations, things that God has ordained, things that God has willed, things that God has placed in our path, and what we have decided or what we, we, when we examine it, we decide in our own eyes whether it's righteous or not, whether it was fair or not. When these things come up, this is not fair. Why do I have to go through this? Why is this, why do these things always happen to me, right? God, in essence, what we're saying is, God, you're not doing good by me. What you have promised me, you're not giving me that, right? We are testing God. We are, we are saying, we are basically, in essence, we're putting God underneath us and we're placing ourselves as an authority over God to say, you know what? 
you've done these things, but in my eyes, that's not good enough. I, I deserve better than this. I deserve water, right? I'm, I'm being obedient. Why am I not getting water? A plus B equals C, and it's not working out. What is the deal? But when we get thirsty, when, when we get hungry, when we have heartache or pain, when we are frustrated with, with things, we, we tend to blame those things on, excuse me, when we go through those things, heartache, pain, thirst, hunger, whatever circumstance or situation you want to think of that causes you to be upset with other people, to be bitter towards other people, yell at them, cuss at them, whatever your sin is that you do as a reaction towards these circumstances, whatever they are, they're just excuses, right? They're, they're just excuses for your actions. They, they, they're not justified, our response to adversity, the, thing, the way we respond to these things is a direct reflection of our character. Right? The people who we are, it's a direct reflection of that. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, when he tells us, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth speaks. Right? It's, it's, it's an inward disposition that leads to outward action. And so that means that if there's not anger, frustration, bitterness, uh, you name it, whatever the sinful action is, if it's not inside, it won't come out, right? Falling into uh, just being bitter or, or hopeless or whatever it is, if it's not within us, it won't come out, right? I mean, we, we have to understand that we can't blame uh, our actions on our circumstances. If it wasn't in there, it wouldn't come out. I've been kind of going back and forth with this this morning because my kids have gotten this like crazy amount of energy lately. And uh, I don't know if you noticed over here, but they were kind of just, they've been, they, they just have a lot, a lot of energy. So I've been like, you know, in, in one side, right, I'm speaking to myself because I'm like, I want my kids to act right, you know, and I'm getting frustrated. But I'm like, they're kids, man, they're kids. Yes, there's discipline, right? There's discipline, there's training, but they're two and three years old. Like, come on, man, you know? So, yeah, as I'm saying this, I'm speaking to myself first, but I'm sure everyone here can relate to that. So what is our response to adversity? How, how, how do we respond? We respond with whatever dwells within our hearts. I can't answer that for you. Whatever dwells within your heart, that's how you're going to respond. This is precisely why scripture says, above all else or with vigilance, guard your heart. You are to guard your heart, right? Because whatever, you, whatever comes out or goes in is, is, is on you. Whatever you allow in, whatever you allow out, that's, that's who you are, right? We need to guard our hearts. And, and whether you're doing it or not, it's going to show through your actions, right? And as we do life together, as we walk with each other and we see each other uh, argue or, or fall on hard times or whatever situation, what's within our heart is going to show. And we'll see this. With the Israelites. So let's continue on in verses two through four and look at our second question about God testing us, why this isn't okay for us to test Him. And, and basically, how did I come up with that question? Because it can, my mind tends to go in these weird places. So let's reread verses two through four. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
So we see the response. We see what's in the hearts of the Israelites. It's, it's to grumble, to complain, to threaten, to make demands of Moses and to test God, which leads us to our next question, right? Why is this not okay for us to test God? Why is, this, why is it okay for God to test us? Well, I think where we, uh, a misconception comes in of God a lot of times, I had it, I think most of us have had this to some degree, is through the Old Testament, I would say specifically for our, for our study today, the, the Torah, which is Moses' writings, it's the first five books of the Bible, there's a lot of anthropomorphic language that's used, and that's just a big fancy word for personifying God, right, giving him parts like the mighty hand of God or God relented or God changed his mind. There's these figures of speech that are used to try to help us make the infinite finite like us, right? There, there's a lot of language that's used. He sits on his throne. He rested. A lot of these things are used in scripture to describe, to help us wrap our minds around the, the, the indescribable things of God. But in doing so, we tend to take those things and then Outside of the context of the passages therein, we try to apply them to God as well. So when we think about testing and we see why is it okay for God to test, he tested the Israelites through the wilderness, why is that okay for him to do that? Uh, it, would, it would kind of come across to some of us uh, as we're just lab rats and God is performing these experiments to see how we react to different situations. Right. Is he just kind of dropping cheese here and there and and running us through mazes and courses so he can know us better or know who we are? And, and, and like I said, this this type of language that's used in Scripture, when it's misinterpreted, leads us to go down that path. And, and this just isn't true of God. God is omniscient. Right. We, we had that that word in one of the songs today. This word omniscient, omni means all like an omnivore is an animal that eats everything. Right. It eats all foods. And uh, science is the second half of that word means to know. So all knowing is who God is. He knows our hearts. We are laid bare before him. His eyes are in every place, keeping watch over the good and the evil. He ordains all things. And therefore, he knows all things, but he does not learn anything. Now, I think that's important for us to understand that God doesn't learn anything. Uh, for God to learn anything, there would have to be knowledge outside of God and his creation. And since we know that everything was created by him and for him, there is no way for knowledge to originate anywhere but from him. I know that, okay, I'm, that, I'm going to repeat it because that's a lot of for him, by him, a lot of language, but... If we think about it, for God to learn anything, there would have to be knowledge outside of him. And since everything was created by him and for him, there is no way knowledge could originate anywhere but from him. Right. So all creation was created by God. Therefore, he cannot learn anything. He he knows everything. He's the one that put it into existence. He's the one that spoke all things into existence. So why does God test us? Right. That, that leads to that question. Why does God test us if he knows everything? Well, it's because we don't know everything and we need to be shown who we truly are. Amen. Right. This is who God is. Right. He he'll walk us through something and he already knows, but he's walking us through to show us our need for him. Right. He, he is showing these people who they truly are. When you take an exam, if, if those in have gone to college or went through school, right, you take tests and you pass or you fail and. The, the ones, the questions that you miss are things that you either didn't know or misinterpreted the question or whatever, but it's just an assessment of where you are. It, it's, it, it, that's all it is. That's what tests do. They show us where we're weak and where we're strong. 
So this is what God does for his people. He already knows us, right? But we need to know who we are. We have this cloudy, lofty vision of who we are. We, we think we're, we're good and, and we just need a little help, but we're, we're not. Like we will sin all day long if God lets us. He actually restrains a lot of sin from our lives. He, he directs our path because we just, we tend to, we're like sheep, right? Sheep wander. That's what they do naturally. They, they need a shepherd and sheepdogs keeping track of them, right? It's, it's a great description of who we are. That's what we tend to do, do. So God is using these tests to show us who we are. So that leads to the second half of the question. Why is it not okay for us to test God? God doesn't need, any, doesn't need to know who he is, right? He, are, he knows who he is. He's not the one that needs fixing. It's, it's us that needs the fixing. So as I was studying through this week, I was listening to some sermons, and, and uh, there was this, this great quote that, that I heard, and it just it kind of opened my eyes to uh, kind of like the overall theme of the Exodus. And uh, it was, it was a, a sermon I heard about the ten plagues, but it's just as applicable to us today. And it basically said this, God's dealing with the Hebrews and delivering them out of the hand of Egypt and into the promised land was not about getting the Israelites out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of the Israelites. Right? It was not about getting the Israelites out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of the Israelites. Right? When we, what we have to realize, when we've been saved by grace through faith. This is not of our own doing, but it's a gift of God. Right? We are these dead corpses in, in dead in our sins and transgressions aggressions and God raised us to life we're these new people we lived a lot of our lives as those old dead people right and we have bad habits and a lot of things that we that we try to carry in to our new the newness of life that we have but what we have to realize is this problem that the Israelites had the problem that we have today is not with God it's a problem that we have with sin Right. Scripture tells us that we've been reconciled, that that we have been justified and now have peace with God. That relationship is fine. It's our relationship with sin that needs to die, that that that's the problem. That's where all our issues arise. And, and when we begin to act and think like we're still in Egypt, that's where all that's where all these problems arise. We want to go back there. We want to spend. We had all that time in slavery. We know how that life works. We weren't thirsty there. Right. We knew exactly where to find water. We knew exactly what we had to do. Why now that we're on this journey through the wilderness? Why is life so hard? Why? Why are we going through this? Why do we have to follow Moses? He wasn't even with us half the time. He took off and then came back and and left with us. Right. Why do we have to follow this man, why are we doing these things the way, why do they have to be so hard, right? Why is life always dealing me a bad hand? Why am I always having to deal with these problems day after day? Why can I not just do this, right? We, we have those thoughts that go through our head. And I, and I want to challenge you today with the thought that it's, it's hard because you still think you're in Egypt. You still think you belong there, right? You still think you're a slave. You're not thinking like, a child of God. You, what we tend to do is we want to bring that life with us, right, that old life with us and merge it somehow with the new life God has given us. We, we can't be, uh, we can't serve two masters. We can only serve our sin and, and Satan or we can serve Christ. There, there's, you can't have both. They, they are not compatible. If you, wanna, if, if you want that life in Egypt, 
It's not what's best for you. God has called you out of that. Listen to this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy or set-apart nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, or Egypt, right, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are now God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or travelers and exiles to abstain from the passions and lusts of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, this, it's, 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 it's a challenging passage. But like, like I said, this issue that we have is it's hard because we make it hard. Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Right, that's what Jesus said himself. I am lowly and humble of heart. Take this upon you, right? It's, it's easy. We're the ones that make it difficult. God has reconciled us. He's the one that has purchased us with his, with his own blood. He's the one that prepared good works for us to walk in. We're the ones that make this difficult. We want to go, when times get hard, we don't look to him. We look back to where we were and, and think about that like that was the good old days. But what we're called to, we're not that anymore. We have been saved. We have been pulled from darkness to this marvelous light. People are to see Christ in us, right? They are to not see the old us, but the one that has been raised with Christ, the new man, right? Not the, the perfect you, right? We don't put up fronts, right? But the redeemed you, the one that has been saved from those sins that he would commit. That's who we are called to be. So this is a phrase that kind of goes around in our household. I typically use it with my wife and, and uh, like I, she should probably use it on me more because I'm way worse than she is. Uh, but I'm going to tell y'all uh, today. But this life is not about you. Right. This this life is not about you at all. Right. When things get hard, it's not always about you. Right. It's not about you. What is this life about? It is about Christ, the Redeemer, who is seeking to save the lost. Right. He has adopted us into his family and he gives us the privilege to see dead men raised to life. Amen. Right. When, when we go out, our conduct among the Gentiles is to be honorable. Right. It is to be honorable. We are to be these this royal priesthood, this set apart nation. This we had not received mercy, but now we have. Right. This is who we are. This is who we are called to be. But none of us got here on our own. Right. The gospel was preached to us and these dead bones received life. Right. We, too, were delivered from slavery. We were those in Egypt. Right. We were the, the in, bond, in bounds and in, or in bonds and, and we were in need of saving. And, and God sent someone to preach the gospel to us and to, to see us come to life and to die to that old life. But what we have to remember is that we are sojourners. We are exiles. We are not home yet. Right. This is not our home. Right. We need to stop acting like it, like this is our home. Right. And we need to keep walking because we're headed to the promised land. Right. That's God is calling us home. We all have a day and we are on this journey together. We are sojourners. Right. We have tents here. 
not foundations stuck in the ground. We are sojourners traveling through this life. And with that mindset, it helps keep us on our toes that, that we, are, we have a greater purpose. It is not, it doesn't, we, this is not our best life now, right? That is not what we have. Our life is, our, the, good, the good life is to come, right? We have a good life now, but our best life is to come, right? When we're reunited with Christ. This world has tons of sin in it, right? Because it's got a ton of people in it. Uh, it, it is broken and fallen, and we can't set our home here. Uh, it is only with Christ that we have that. So as we get to our third and final question, let's reread verses 5 through 7 and see what is God's response to our testing of him and our disobedience. Verse 5 starts off, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the, of the people of Israel, excuse me, of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So we see a couple things here. First, um, what I, what the first thing I noticed, God shows us Romans 12 to in action. Now you may kind of say, well, how, is, how is that? Just, just give me a minute, right? It says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, how do we get there with this verse? Well, God is telling Moses a couple of things. First, he says, pass on before the people, right? When he tells him to pass on before the people, what he is telling them is to get to the front of the line, take back the place that I have set apart for you as the leader of my people and help them recognize that, that you are leading my people. I have called you to this position, right? And then he's telling them, take the elders with you, right? The other influential men of this camp, the older men, get these men with you. When you perform this, this miraculous task, they will see this as well. They can continue to preach of this to the people, the, the powerful works of God. Not only that, what were the powerful works of God done with? Well, they were done with the staff. He tells them, take the staff in your hand, the one that you struck the Nile with. Now, when he struck the Nile, this was back in Egypt. It turned it to blood, right? This is the same staff that he rose and parted the Red Sea. Uh, this is the same staff that will do a couple more miraculous events. Uh, and, and in this time, we have, that, we have one of those. So what we see, Moses passing before the people with the elders and the staff, and then after giving them this symbolic reminder of him taking his rightful place with God's people, right, reestablishing order among the people of Israel, right, what does God do, right? He, he, he gives them water from the last place any of the Israelites, any of us would ever look to find water, right? He goes to the, this mountain, he sees a rock, and then he just smacks it, right? Just a rock, right? I mean, just smacks a rock in the middle of the desert and water streams out of it, right? This is kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of not funny, but it's just, it's, it's the way God works, right? He tend, he, the way things, we tend to work them out in our minds. His ways are not our ways, right? And this is a prime example of that. I would not think to go to a rock and, and strike it to try to find water. Uh, he didn't tell him to dig a well, right, and find water there. He didn't tell him, well, it was around the mountain on this backside. There's a stream or a spring or anything like that. He's like, no, tap this rock. 
where these people will know that there's no other way for water to come but by my grace to you, right? This is what he's done for them. So this rock, listen to this, this rock would be struck for a sinful, rebellious people to give them life when they were facing certain death. Right? They were wicked. They were quarreling. They were testing God. They were, they were saying, they, called, they probably called him every name in the book, right? They were talking about Moses. They wanted to stone him, right? They were to this point. God tells Moses, strike this rock for these people, right? And I will give them life through it. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace, right? Uh, his, God's response to this rebellious, ungrateful, hateful people was to show them grace. Thank the Lord, right? As the song said, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Right, that is such a beautiful song. The, the, the truth that we see from God's word is so, so beautiful. It, it, it's it's mind-blowing. Like when we think of what God does for us, people right there quarreling and doing this and that. He doesn't even respond to their accusations. He's like, this is what I do. This I'm going to show you what I do, right? And, and this was just an example of what was to come, right? Christ, right, as we read in the passage in, in 1 Corinthians that was, Christ is the rock, right? He is the life giver. Outside of him, there is no life. It was a desert. It was wilderness. They needed substance. They needed something to keep them alive. And all that they could find was they couldn't find it, right? Moses led them to this rock, struck it, and they had life. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's grace. So with that in mind, I want to close with this passage of Scripture that I... I I've quoted it before, but I love it. I can't get past this passage, but I think this brings all of this together. What is God's response to his people, right? We see a response in this passage in Exodus, but James 4 gives us another response that that I believe will will help us that much more to to solidify uh, what we're talking about today. So if you want to turn there, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read these verses, and, and I want you to think uh, about this, even as we leave, meditate on these words that are in, that are in the Word of God, and and think about just how great and amazing God is, and how He deals with His people. James chapter four, <coughs> excuse me, verses one through six, the first half of verse six. It says, "What quarrels, or what causes quarrels, and what causes fights among you?" Right? We've already seen this happening with the people of Israel. Is it not that your passions or your lusts are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. They were trying to stone Moses. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Right, You people seeking after another God, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And listen to this, but he gives more grace. Right. He gives more grace. This is talking to his people. Right. He gives 
more grace. What is grace, right? We may think grace is just like gifts of things that are, that are blessings in the sight of men. But a grace that has been given to some is destruction, right? You may be in a car wreck uh, and, and lose feeling in all your limbs, but the way your life was headed was leading you to hell. God wrecks you with this, this, this terrible thing. Someone comes in, preaches you the gospel, you get saved, right? I mean, God will use whatever means necessary to draw you closer to him. Amen? Right? That's all grace. We, we tend to think of grace as just, oh, man, I, I needed to pay this bill, and, and this check came in the mail, and oh, my gosh, this is so amazing, right? Or, or I got this promotion at work, or I got this or that. But conviction is a grace of God. Repentance is a grace of of God, right? We can't forget that whatever draws us closer to God is a grace that God has given us. Amen, right? Whatever conforms us into the image of the Son and allows you to bless others is a grace of God, no matter what it is. No matter how shameful you feel about it, no matter how broken it makes you, no matter how lonely you feel because of it, if it draws you closer to God, it is a grace that God has given you no matter what it is, right? Conviction, that, that's a grace. Accountability, right? Being part of a church body that holds you to the godly standard that he has set for you, that is a grace of God. Church family, having a family that rallies together in times of trouble, that is a grace God has given us. Prayer is a grace that God has given us. We can, we can approach the throne of grace because God has made that possible for us. That is a grace that he has given us. Amen. Right. That is a grace that God has given us. The God of this universe allows us to approach him, even though we are these rebellious, ungrateful, quarreling people. He, he allows that for us. He gives us that grace. It is a beautiful, mind blowing thing. Reading our Bible is a grace. Right. Preaching and hearing preaching that's focused on God's word is a grace. Right. All these things that God has given us in this life that draw him to him. Draw us to him our graces that he has given us. So whatever you need to grow in your relationship with God, God is freely given to you. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation due to change, right? God does not change in the way he shows grace to his people. If it's going to be in the wilderness, in a desert where you're dying of thirst, he'll do it. If it's going to be on the mountaintop when you get to peek into the, into the promised land like Moses did, he'll do it. Whatever it takes, he is enough. He will give you those graces. But even when we start complaining and acting like we want to go back to Egypt, like the Israelites, he gives more grace. Let us pray.